Hello, this is Dr. Richard Olberger, and thank you for joining me on another episode of the Richard Listens podcast. Today we have Jody Wolkerling, who is an expertise on overcoming resiliency and resilient culture. She has decades of experience in the corporate world, and she has seen that resiliency is a key feature of every enduring successful individual and every organizational culture that is productive and collaborative over the long term. The modern workplace is filled with constant challenges and competing priorities, both for the business at large and for the individuals within the business. And resilience is a key component of effectively navigating these challenges. Jody is passionate about assisting businesses to build an enduring, resilient culture at the whole culture level and the various levels of leadership within the business and at the individual level. So the business at a whole and the individuals within the business can experience enormous benefits of enduring, resilient culture. We look forward to hearing more about Jody, how she's overcome resilience, and how she can help us learn about what businesses can do to become more resilient. Okay, thank you so much for joining us, Jody. And resilience is a topic of the day. I feel like I overused the word. Maybe you can tell us what being resilient means to you and what led you to this line of work and your background. Yep. Resilience is a great place to start. What are we actually talking about? So to me, I look at resilience in two different ways. So the first way is obviously we all have stresses in our life. To a large extent, we can't control the stresses. But when we're faced with the stresses, doing things within ourselves that mean that we stay in that state of calm, that state of clear headedness, that state of just general controlled reaction to what's going on around us. So that's kind of the first side. The second side is we're all human. Human. And what that means is at certain times, we will lose that little bit of control and we will feel the effects of stress and that sort of stuff. The second side of resilience is when, when that happens and we're feeling the effect of stress in our life, picking it up in ourselves, having that self-awareness to actually pick it up and then to take steps in ourselves to bring ourselves back to calm and again, that calm, clear-headedness as quickly as possible. So it's preventing being stressed as much as possible or our stress reaction. And then when it does occur, spotting it, and bringing ourselves back to calm. So overall, it's about as much as possible staying in that state of calm and clear-headedness where the stresses don't adversely affect. So that's what is resilience. Yes, Um, it's so important. I just got like several powerful like imagery examples of the last week of like, and I feel like many of my clients come to me with like, how do I stop myself from reacting? How do I stop myself from these patterns, which either create stress or continue stressful reaction, which can become quite chronic, you know, especially in circumstances like we've been in the world where you can't go outside, you can't get the escape that you were looking for, or there's such a pressure from the outside. So, you know, first of all, I'm curious, what led you down this viewpoint? What did it start personally? What led you towards looking at this in corporations and businesses? So I've spent most of my working life in the corporate world in positions of responsibility, authority. Now, I was very much capable of doing those roles, but for most of my working life, I did it in a state of stress and having the stresses of that adversely affecting me. And obviously there's peaks and troughs of that, but I hit a few years back, hit a particularly bad point with that. I was very close to burnout. It was affecting relationships in my life and my general mental well-being. It was affecting my physical well-being. I almost had one of those life-turning moments that said, my gosh, there has to be something better than this. So this very much came out of my own challenges and going, there has to be something better. 
and setting myself on this path about five years now of self-education. So that was both sort of formal and informal self-education around resilience and taking control of your life and generally being proactive rather than reactive to the things in my life. And that started, as I said, from a way of helping myself that almost naturally morphed into helping others with one-on-one coaching. And that almost automatically morphed into the corporate space because there's a lot we can do for ourselves and there's a lot of personal things in ourselves that affect how we deal with stress in our life. There's also a lot of things from a cultural point of view that make a big difference to stress as well and the stresses that people face and the systems around them that either support or don't support them. So yeah, it's been almost an automatic progression through the steps that started very much from my own challenges. Yeah, it's a really tough negotiation. I know I work for LA County in Christ Spons and you know, I remember reading a quote from Gavin De Becker which said, you know, be careful when you work in crisis, you might become a crisis. And then we had a training from a lovely man named Bruce Anderson who works on corporate health and hope. And he said something in the training which I'll never forget, which was that over time, corporations begin to resemble the people they serve, you know, which is unconscious that there's this like the stress or right, whatever, you know, is going on, the angst of your client base could become internalized in the system. I mean, at least this was a social service organization, right? That you begin to kind of become a function, right? Being on, I worked on Skid Row with homelessness, right? Trying to keep a schedule and keep session appointments, keep, it wasn't so easy. And in a way, some of it was more effective, right? If you were so rigid with your scheduling or with being in an office, then you were never probably going to help the people people in that environment. So, you know, how did you, how did you separate that your own struggle internally versus what was happening in the corporate environment? You mean for me personally? Yeah. How did you, yeah. well, I guess your, your own, our own journeys sometimes trigger our awareness is going on elsewhere, right? I think probably the main thing for me from a personal perspective is realizing that that was a pattern through most of my working life. So that wasn't just in one organization, which meant that there was something about me. The other side, too is once I realized that about me it then you get to see okay what are the things that actually cause stress in different working environments and what are the things in the working environments that I've been in so this is when I first started out what are the things in the working environments that I've been that have actually almost set this off and have been triggers for own challenges so it really is like a two-sided thing and I think awareness of both I'm not sure if I've really answered your question but awareness of both is is really really the key and and taking that own responsibility and that own empowerment over yourself. What were you becoming aware of in yourself? Pattern is the real thing, that there was a pattern of things in my life, but also realising, okay, what does stress feel like for me? What things happen that actually make me feel stressed? How do I respond to that? Do I respond to that in ways that actually help me or hurt me or hurt things or people around me? Yeah, that probably the main thing, being really aware of myself and the environment and the effect of myself on people people in the environment around me. Yeah. And it's really profound, right? With so much change going on in the workforce with, you know, many cultures. I know when I worked at LA County, I was taller male and I would come in field and be standing up and everyone else would be sitting down, you know, like the awareness.
awareness of perception, right? Your vocal tone, everything about body language, how do you carry, right? Your energy, your stress, and then what kind of response do you get, you know? And does it serve you? Does it provide you with what you need from your workplace? Do you feel apart? Do you feel connected? Do you feel supported? Absolutely. And if you're dealing with all that stuff from a state of stress, one of the things that happens when you're stressed is the thinking part of your brain doesn't function anywhere near as well. So you can't actually think as clearly. So that insight that you've just had about things like being aware of your environment and you standing up while everybody's sitting down and the effect of that, you can't be as switched on to all that stuff if you're in that state of stress. No, literally your vision, right? Narrow, right? When you are under stress, you see less peripheral. Absolutely. That is actually one of the physiological reactions to stress. Yes. So how do you help, you know, individuals right now or companies, how do you help them become aware of their stress response? To a certain extent, it's an individual thing, but just awareness of awareness. It sounds strange. Awareness and breeding awareness that you need to be aware does a lot in itself. Um, There's certain ways that you can develop your own awareness. So things like mindfulness practices and that sort of stuff where you're tuning into different things in your body, creating practices where you you almost stop and check in with yourself and stop and check in with the environment rather than just running on auto mode. So people just being aware that they need to be aware is kind of strange. It's very strange way of putting it. Being aware that they need to be aware is kind of half the battle. And then, yeah, as I said, things like mindfulness practices, being conscious of that stuff around you. That's the sort of stuff I work with people on and tuning in and doing things like, okay, so how does stress show itself either physically, mentally, and getting people to kind of reflect all right so when I've been stressed in the past or if I'm feeling stressed now how did that show mentally physically so that they can see the patterns in themselves and spot it when it happens down the track and how much of this is taking on right now and the world is changing the workplace changing with COVID and the pandemic how do you think you know workplaces are being challenged through you know the work from home and all these transitions to and from work it's interesting from a leader's point of view I think it's in some ways become harder for leaders pick the well-being of their their staff because there's nowhere near that same personal contact and things like if they're connecting with people over zoom while zoom is great and it's better than having nothing or having just the phone so you lose a lot of the cues of how people interact in the workspace how people go about their day so you lose a lot of the cues so it's a lot harder for leaders to actually be aware of where their staff are at because i mean most of our communication it's only a small percentage of it is actually vocal communication a large amount of it is things like body language and that unconscious communication so you don't get that as a leader anywhere near as much so from that point of view it's a lot harder and leader is a lot more lost as to how to support their staff through this i found a lot of the measures last year there were either reactive measures so things like eap programs employee assistance programs where it's paid for by the business but a counselor can be rung up and spoken to they were reactive and uptakes on those sort of programs are generally pretty small percentage but a lot of leaders to their credit realize that they did need to support staff last year but they did things like weekly check-ins care packages so like a box of goodies in the mail things like yoga classes and meditation classes and they really didn't get for for while all those things are good they really didn't get to the heart of what are the challenges for that particular individual so I think we need to pivot that from a personal point of view a lot of the human basic human need or weren't being met as 
as well. You follow Tony Robbins' work at all, but he talks about the six core human needs. Is that something you're familiar with? I've seen some of his, seen I'm not your guru, but tell my listeners what they are and I'll learn something (laughs) at the same time. So he basically says there's six core human needs and one of them's certainty. Well, there's been an enormous amount of uncertainty over the last year. People don't know what's happening financially, physically, that sort of stuff. The converse of that is variety is another human need. A lot of people, depending on where you are in the world and how much restriction there's been on movements and and that sort of stuff, but for a lot of people, the world, I think it was in this 80s or 90s movie, Groundhog Day. There's a lot of time people I've heard described this as Groundhog Day. It's one day in, one day out, all the same. Where I am in Victoria, we've had a lot of lockdown. So it gets to the point where the days kind of almost merge into each other. There's no holiday to look forward to or a trip on the weekend or vacation. Aussies call it holidays, sorry. Um, (laughs) There's not those trips and those catch up with the friends and that sort of stuff that possibly in the past. So certainty and variety are both being tested. Connection, my gosh. Again, depending on where you are in the world, a lot of us haven't been able to connect with people as much as we normally would. And when you do, you're anxious or you're busy. Should I protect you? Should I stand further back? A lot of hypervigilance and anxiety even in that. Yep. So that's definitely been tested. Significance is another one of the human needs. Depending on the individual, that's sort of been not affected or, or affected to varying degrees. Growth. Some people have used the time to actually expand and grow on themselves, but a lot of people haven't. So there's not that for a lot of people, that self-growth that's sort of gone on. And the other one is contribution, which is an interesting one. So if you talk about things like workplaces, most people get pleasure out of actually going to a colleague who's struggling and help or even going, they might be involved in something in the community, getting involved in the local sporting club and helping coach kids and that sort of stuff. And a lot of those things have broken down. So if you look at those six core human needs, there's been a huge effect of them and people are fatigued. They're feeling the stress of it. And it's after a year and a half of it, it's very wearing. Yeah, that's very interesting. So what happens when you don't get those needs met, right? That's where stress comes in because it's your body's way of telling you you're not getting what you need. So it's a healthy response, you know, some anxiety. I tell my clients, the anxiety is not the problem, right? Even some of these messages, if you, right, are being conscious, right, that you miss connection. I'm so glad that I work in men's circles, creating even virtual circles right now, you know, that there's some place to go. If you identify that you're lonely, you first have to realize that you miss the connection. Like you said, you have to become aware that you have a need. But I think it's hard for a lot of men that I work with, you know, the male population in particular, and even realize, whoa, I have an emotional need. My job is not just to get up, go to work. That's not really my resilience. In order to do my job, I have other needs or my performance will drop, right? Absolutely. And a lot of times, a lot of the response for a lot of you know high performers has been, well, I'm just going to plan more. I'm going to try and create variety. If I take on more jobs and more tasks, that'll get me moving, right? The external to try and motivate the internal. But if we don't feel supportive, we don't feel connected, if we don't feel like we have something to look forward to or that we're connecting to others, part of meaning making, it's really hard. So how do we stay resilient? How do companies stay resilient on the other side of this during challenging times? What have you learned? I think companies need to rethink how they support their staff. As I said last year, it was very much. Keep in mind too, there were signs of a lot of this sort of stuff before COVID. It's just COVID has one highlighted it and two made it more extreme for a lot of people. But there were signs of issues with people's resilience before COVID. From my 
opinion, businesses need to rethink what they're doing. So things like EAP program and the care packages and yoga classes and meditation sessions are all great, but the businesses need to get a lot more strategic about actually connecting with their staff and finding out what their actual challenges are and what they need to do to accommodate. So a really common example that's happened during COVID that I've seen a lot of is in a lot of the parts of the world, you've got parents, they have school age or preschool age kids, they're working full time and then they've gone to the working from home and possibly the kids are at home with them. They're either looking after little kids or they're overseeing schooling from home. So what I've seen a lot of is parents who are trying to work their normal work day look after the kids what ends up happening with a lot of the parents so they're looking after the kid largely during the day and then doing some work here and there when they can once the kids then go to bed then they do their work I've seen so much of it of parents who do that what that means is they're not really getting any downtime any time very little time to themselves time to recuperate a lot of them are fairly sleep deprived and there's been a lot of women in professional roles especially who I have seen either either contemplating stepping back or stepping down in their hours, stepping back in roles that it's not as a high-pressured role, or for some women just going, this is too hard and leaving the workforce. I hesitate in saying women because parents are both. There's a lot more of it I'm seeing with women. And I think it's a major issue that this is to a large extent are not aware of, that they're either losing or at real risk of losing their female staff. And it's become very wearing for a while. At the start of the pandemic, people kind of went, they had this determination of, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, but that only lasts for so long. You eventually get to a point of real fatigue and overwhelm. And that's when, again, you can't think as clearly, your performance goes down, your motivation goes down. It's interesting. So much I think change. Yeah. The change, yeah. it's really hard to build that resilience while you're being under a threat, right? While you're being put under such duress, like you mentioned, when you cannot reset your blood cortisol levels and take care of yourself. I think that's that's really what so much a part of what you're saying. Like if people don't know how to care for themselves, then how can a corporation care for its employees? Or does it one really, not dependent on the other? You need both. It's really as simple as that. So when I work in businesses, I'll often do both. I'll work from an individual point of view and whether that's coaching or training individuals on their own resilience and then also the cultural side, it's both. So will businesses bring you in? Will they recognize there's a problem and they finally go, we need help? Or is some of it, like you said, proactive? Like we know that we want to have a culture it's more resilient yep it depends on the business so some businesses are very proactive in their programs with this probably more often though where it's a reactive thing where the leaders realize that there's a particular issue it could be with a one or a few staff members or it could be a cultural wide thing but it almost gets to a an obviously serious point and then the leaders go we need to get some help here now that's obviously not the ideal the proactive is more the ideal you want to prevent it getting to that in the first place but yeah the reality is especially pandemic wise that a lot of work's been yeah reactive that leaders have realized we've got a real issue and bring in some help this is a healthy breakthrough that could be the result of this major shift is accommodating the pressures changes in our work actually it's a good way of looking at i think there's probably more awareness of the need for this i don't know if there's as much financial investment in it because a lot of businesses are struggling but there's an awareness of the importance of it and that has to be a positive thing in the long run the, like you mentioned the, the, EAPs, the eap 
EAP sessions for my listeners that aren't aware of it, the employee assistance programs, most human resource departments have this arm that provides their employees with a certain amount of free session. And that can be practical, like if you need help just with a particular situation, whether it's work-related or your relationship, or you need help for your child or your spouse. So it's meant to relieve some of the stressors that could be distracting from work. And so I have found that a lot more employees are offering at least, you know, they used to offer very minimal, like three sessions. And some of the bigger companies in California, like Comcast or Universal, they offer like, you know, you can get block 12, I think. And sometimes even beyond that, they've rolled into the employee's mental health coverage. I think that's a step, right? It's not quite, but it's giving the employees a chance to take care of themselves. Yes. But it's also worth noting that people wanting to actually engage in EAP as an employer going, yes, I want to take up those sessions. It's different in different parts of the world and different companies, but a 5% uptake is considered to be a very high end. It's often around 2 to 3%. So that's every year, 2 to 3% of your staff putting up their hand and going, yes, I would like some to take up the program. So it's the exception that people actually use it. So are there practices that can be done inside of the work culture, even at a distance to help create more of a discussion or awareness around resilience? Yep. Firstly is helping staff with their own resilience. As I said, when I work with businesses, I'll do things like training programs and that sort of stuff. But also with businesses, it's around creating an environment that takes away a lot of those stresses or reduces them or better manages them. So a really good example is one of the buzzwords that you hear around at the moment is a culture of of psychological safety. And what that means is that when there's psychological safety, people feel safe to speak their opinion, whether it does or doesn't agree with the opinions of people around them or possibly the person that they answer to in the work. They feel safe to try new things. They feel safe to expand their knowledge and possibly risk being not great at something while they're actually learning it. Psychological safety, Google did a big study on this a while back and they said they basically found consistently their highest performing teams. The consistent characteristic was psychological safety. So it's the seat of people being innovative. It's the seat of people feeling that their voice hurt and feeling that their voice is valued. Positive things because people, when they don't feel safe to speak up, they won't, which means they won't generally go out of their way to help others. They won't generally, as I said, stretch themselves to try something new, innovate. They'll probably just do the basics of their job without really going that extra. Right, the minimal to get paid, to get a paycheck. And that becomes the motivation when the external motivation takes over it's a red flag right yeah but there's lots of other things as well that's just one example where do you see this work extending to for you well one of the beauties of there are advantages in COVID and this lovely period that we're going through and one of the advantages is almost as if in some ways electronically the world's gotten smaller there's not that expectation now of having to physically go to somewhere to deliver so what that means is worldwide I mean that's why I'm in Australia and I'm talking to you in the US and that's not a problem. It's amazing. That took me a little bit of confusion with the uh, time zone. So thank you so much for your flexibility. So what it means, as long as you account for time differences, this is global. You can do things like training sessions with staff on the other side of the world. Yeah, I've been in sessions with people who are across the globe. Yep, especially with a lot of places in lockdown. It really doesn't make any difference except for time difference, whether they're five minutes down the road or whether they're the other side of the globe. So 
this is global and I'm really kind of on a mission of getting it out there that stress doesn't have to be a relative of our life. It doesn't have to be the way that is kind of the norm that, that we live. It's not healthy, it's not productive and it doesn't have to be our reality. There is something better. That's kind of my idealistic vision. It's saving lives. I mean, how do you make people aware, right? They say like what I'm doing right now, we're doing sitting, the new smoking, right? There's certain things that we do that are very stressful and we're not aware of it and it leads to long-term problems. So how have you found to make people aware to be, you know, first aware that there is such a thing as resilience and how do you get them on a path towards better health? Well, shows like this are a great start. Like anything with mental health related or wellness related, if people don't hear about it, they're normally not aware of it. So the first step is raising awareness. So things like podcasts, things like different people who teach things on, on places like YouTube, raising awareness and getting it as it's just, it's like, look at something like depression. A few years back, depression was, had a huge amount of stigma associated with it. And I think there is still to a large extent, but a huge amount of stigma and people felt very embarrassed about even admitting that it was a challenge for them, even though it's one of the most common issues out there. But by people talking about it more, raising awareness, people are then recognizing it in themselves and more likely to get help and more likely to tell other people, which then raises the awareness. That's the start is raise awareness. And then that way it becomes more of a front of mind and people are more likely to address it and not accept it as reality. It's really the antidote. I was just thinking of the Olympics, how hard it was for some of those athletes to train. And some of them you could see, right, even they got the silver medal and they were like in tears. The, the training and isolation, the amount of commitment, right? How do we help those who've been so isolated remain resilient? How do we stay in the hunt or in the fight? I guess from the individual level, when you've noticed, you could just see the how difficult it was for these athletes or for any individual out there who's been working from home and they're not getting the validation of seeing their coworkers. Just yep. having that morning coffee or like you said, we belong, we were in the same place. Yep. How do they keep that resilience going when you're not getting some of the reinforcement? What I would suggest to people is go through an exercise of what can I do that actually assists me and try other things that possibly could. So an example would be some really basic things like in most places of the world, you're still allowed to go for a walk. For some people, and I'm one of these people, being very aware that that's something that's really good for my mental health. So being aware of what helps, and it's a very individual thing. It could be sitting and playing with your dog for five minutes. It could be meditation for a lot of people, that real mental regrouping and, and mental realignment. Being really aware in yourself what actually adds to your well-being. And I'll add to that, what adds to your well-being in the long run, not the, I feel better now if I grab the pack of crisps and start eating it or the block of chocolate or the glass of wine or the oh, all that all stuff. sound good right now all that stuff's <laughs> fine in moderation yes. but if it becomes your go-to almost like painkiller number way of numbing what's going on in the long run that's not great that's right avoidance yep. and numbing are temporary yeah so to find things that are really good for your well-being short term and long term and instilling them and often the best way to do that is actually make it a habit but that self-awareness of what actually helps is it actually better for me if I have a routine where I put my shoes on and go for a walk for half an hour first thing in the morning or is it better to go I don't want the pressure of having to get up half an hour earlier I'll go when I need and very much that self-awareness and knowing what actually really adds to your well-being long-term and short-term it's a personal discovery right what is play for you right that's the other yes. thing that I always add right where do you feel 
right? Some sense of thought, some sense of play, right? And some of that is, right, taking a walk is just, right, it creates, you're seeing different things moving. <laughs> you're noticing the wind and the animals and the people moving, right? It gives some sense of aliveness. Yes, yes. I mean, the other one that you talk about, your sense of fun, it could be watching a half an hour comedy a day, getting that sense of fun and, and play and just laughing at silliness for half an hour a day. Very individual. Incredible goofiness. It annoys my children, but it brings humor to me. So I allow myself a little bit of leeway. <laughs> Silliness, right? I mean, we need to be silly. Experience one another. You know, whenever one of my house is stressed out because of the pandemic in one way or another, it's really hard to like experience of the home is very different than if there's a sense of simple play. Absolutely. Just look at small kids to know that. You have a, a small child who's at play and having fun. There is not a care in the world. They're just, they're in a really great state and they're probably learning a lot just by experimenting and playing and right it can be great teachers right they have the play component and as adults like we learned from you know victor frankel right how do you survive how do you create meaning in these terrible circumstances it comes from can i create meaning out of each day can we yeah. listen to podcasts and learn something or share our gifts in some way with others in a different way right can we despite being isolated can we find new ways to connect yep so, absolutely i love that you brought up victor frankel as an example because yeah you're talking about someone who was i'm not sure if your listeners would be aware but somebody who was in Auschwitz and wrote a book afterwards Men's Search for Meaning and it's about finding meaning in what's going on in your life regardless of situations yeah I think even though it's not I don't want to make comparison to something an atrocity that like that or any other atrocity that people have lived through in a really surviving physically for your life. But I do feel like there's parallels from the trauma perspective of this pandemic in terms of what it's done psychologically and emotionally. You talked about that psychological safety, right? It's an invisible threat. Anytime there's an invisible threat that causes the fight or flight mechanism to kick in, we're burning so much of our stress hormone, we forget what it's like to protect ourselves. We're just surviving. Yes, absolutely. We're not conserving. We're not holding anything in the tank for later. And so shifting gears back right what's going to help us feel good what's going to help us feel alive and getting the perspective of what's actually good about the situation makes an enormous difference well it's kind of shocking when he says yeah i talked to the guards i heard people's stories right like my focus was locked in on those things i've had the opportunity to talk to people who've gone through some very serious trauma in their life and the people who generally manage to really move to process it and move beyond it and it not to be something that holds them back are often people who look at what's happened to them in hindsight takes a long time usually in process to go through this but look at it and go this is what it taught me I wouldn't be the person that I am if I didn't go through this so perspective can be an enormous that's true right because when you look back and you have that reflection point on yourself you see that how you handled that stress circus and you learned about yourself you discovered something or you found something purposeful right I learned others could take care of me when some faced with a greater Yep, you know, absolutely. I learned that, you know, when in the face of danger, that I could also look to others for, you know, guidance, which is right, important, right? For not this feeling of like, I have to do it, I have to react, I have to trust my self-protective reflex, which often also then get us in trouble, right? Lead to conflict. Well, Jody, I could talk to you for hours. We could do a course together. Maybe we 
we will. Tell my listeners before you sign off, how can they reach you and how can they learn more about you? You can reach out to me by looking me up on LinkedIn. You can also, my website's www.jodywalkling.com. For anybody out there who is a leader within a business, I have a book that's in final typeset at the moment. It'll be available, catered towards leaders of, of organisations, basically of what are the some of the cultural issues that come up. So if you're interested in that, please pop onto my website or any of my other services, jodywalkling.com. And yeah, there's lots of options there to reach out to me if you want to connect. It's, so Jody's J-O-D-I. And my surname is W-O-E-L-K-E-R-L-I-N-G. Thank you so much, Jody, for sharing your expertise, your knowledge, your care, and your own journey. We love being in this process of sharing our own vulnerability and path resistance in order to inspire others. And if you're out there listening and you're in a similar circumstance or a similar spot where you just don't see a way out or you've been under tremendous stress, please reach out to myself or Jody. You or someone else you know is in a mental health crisis, stress, and need tips, pointers, resources. That's why we do this work. And we help to help you as an individual or whether you work for a corporation to become stronger, more resilient, learn more tools and resources to grow, change, adapt. Well, that was a true pleasure, everyone. Thank you again for bringing me and introducing me to fabulous guests all over the globe. And for the aspiring professionals out there who are willing to put their heart on a sleeve and share it with us. And for my listeners who stay committed, who make the time on their walks, on their commutes, on their drives, or just separating and closing a door to listen in and allow themselves to think a little deeper about their own needs and about those around them. I'm Richard Listens, and I'm out.